0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. I am your host, Dr. Tana M. Session, and I'm so excited for the conversation that you are here for today. This is something that I've been looking forward to because it has been a learning curve for me, and I probably will have more questions than any of you in this audience that are listening. However, I'm gonna leave it to the expert to share from her lived experience what it is like in her world, and the work that she's doing around diversity, equity, and inclusion as it relates to um, Muslims and um, the religion, as well as the cultural experience in the workplace. So I am pleased to turn the mic over to Rahime and let her formally introduce herself and tell you a little bit about who she is and what she does.
1: Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. My name is Rahime Ramazani. I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion, and intercultural practitioner, including like all the things, consulting, speaking. And I also do content creation on social media, uh, specializing in Muslim inclusion and equitable access in predominantly non-Muslim spaces, as well as incorporating religion into existing DEI efforts.
0: Perfect. Thank you for that. How long have you been doing this work?
1: Honestly, I've been doing DEI work in one form or another my whole career. I learned about DEI as like in existence in my grad school program uh in 27 no, I graduated in 2017, so like in 2015. <laughs> um and it was just a light bulb it fit so well. My masters is in intercultural communication. I really do feel those fields benefit and like complement each other really, really well. Uh, And so, yeah, in one form or another, whether the organization called their work DEI or not, I would very much uh, push that it is DEI work, um, just interacting with different cultures and trying to make the world a more inclusive place.
0: Love that. So I remember when we had our introductory call and I was so excited when you reached out and wanted to be part of the podcast and just have a formal introduction. So I'm so glad we're connected now um, because this is an area where I tell people I'm not an expert in mm-hmm. every every single area mm-hmm. of diversity or inclusion or equity, so I leave it to the experts those who that's their lived experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I can speak to it from, um, you know, from the outside looking in, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's because I have friends or family members that may be parts of different cultures or sub communities, so I really want us to talk about. Um, you know, what your lived experience has been in particular in the workplace, but what are some of the challenges? Mm. What are some of the the fears, right? Let's even talk about that. And, yeah. and, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing as it relates to hopefully mm. more inclusion, mm. more acceptance and mm. more understanding?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I really appreciate the perspective that you have. I share that perspective. I think a lot of DEI folks, Hopefully, like if they are really here for the work, like recognize that we the goal is not to be an expert in every single person's lived experience, like especially if it's not our lived experience, like that sort of perspective of just like memorizing and any folks listening as well, like the idea for you, even if DEI isn't your like job is not to memorize every single group's lived experience. Like you can't, it's just literally yeah. impossible. And no one, and that would be a red flag for you yes. if you are following someone online or if you hire a DI consultant for uh, your company, if they're like, you need to just know everything that is to know about, like, no. Okay, so huge No. Uh, alternatively, you learn some frameworks. You learn some like generalizations, but knowing that they are generalizations about different groups, and then getting to know the actual individuals that are in your space in your company that you're in relationship with like hey i know something generally around muslims i know muslims generally have prayer five times a day i know that you may fast during the month of ramadan and i know that like the little bit of details about ramadan like all of these things that you can like either google yourself go into google (laughs) what is ramadan like you will find so many resources Right. So don't make like the people in your life, whether your coworkers or employees or your friends or what have you, like Mm -hmm. educate you when there's literally so much information out there, like literally so much. (laughs) So, you know, and that's a great show of allyship as well that you have actively gone out of your way to educate yourself. Again, knowing that they are generalizations. So, like, I personally believe that generalizations have some role to play that is valid, but knowing that you're like, there are always going to be exceptions. Something that I say all the time is like, especially around Muslims, is like there are 1.8 billion Muslims estimated around the world, 1.8 billion people. And we're from all different. Yeah. With a B exactly. With a (laughs) B, that's how much, like, it's just, astronomical Mm -hmm. a number of people and the idea of being like we're from all different countries speaking all different languages different ethnicities different genders different socioeconomic statuses different educational attainment there are different sects of the religion Mm -hmm. i had a conversation with someone recently who had no idea that there are different sects of islam so we have like slightly different beliefs we have and then even if you believe in a certain thing That doesn't mean that you necessarily practice it that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes people choose not to, like just on and on and so much diversity, right? So the idea being, for instance, like again, uh, talking about like prayers, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it is generally accepted from most Muslims, which I'm sure someone will disagree with me, which is fine. Like that's the whole point is that there will be people who ascribe to the same identity who will disagree with each other. And that doesn't invalidate anyone in that situation. That so generally agreed that Muslims, as far as like the religion of Islam, there's five daily prayers. However, if you go and you're like, oh, there are five daily prayers, me as a non Muslim, I understand that. And now I go to every single Muslim and say you have a Muslim in your space, in your um, work, and they don't pray. Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to go up to them and be like, why? Why aren't you praying? Like, that's an incredibly personal <laughs> thing that like they probably already getting pressure from outside. And whether I believe in that or not, as a individual person is completely separate. The point being is to just get to know people as individuals with an understanding that you have some general background about their identity groups. Right. And I'm really big on these strategies that I proposed in my work, I do very much try to make it about like the frameworks that I use Muslims as an example, cause that is my lived experience. And that's oh. the group that I really want to advocate for strongly amongst other groups. But these frameworks can be applied to any group. You can take out the word Muslim, take out that identity group and put in another group. And oh. you should be able to use that framework generally in a similar fashion, right? Like again, getting to know a group generally, generalizations knowing that they're generalizations from stuff online from content creators online who've gone out of their way to put their lived experiences out into the world for people to find and learn and educate themselves and then when you meet someone from that group you can get to know them authentically and actually like see if they do live that way or don't live that way without judgment without being mm-hmm. like oh you're bad you're a bad Muslim you're a good Muslim Or are like no, no 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 none of that
0: yeah so I have a couple of qu- I have lots of questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> ask me the questions. And I've, I'm probably asking questions that are on people's minds, but they're mm. afraid to mm. ask, right? So although we've only met once before mm. today, I feel comfortable enough asking mm. you because this is part of my learning curve. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so tell me what is the proper pronunciation mm. of the head covering that women wear? Oh, sure. I've heard it say hijab. Hajib, mm-hmm. and i'm like well it's h-i-j-a-b so yeah, i want to yeah, know yeah. what is the proper way to say it
1: yeah uh so hijab, hijab hijab um yeah it's it's hard because all of these words are arabic words that are transliterated into english or right. i mean i speak english i'm american so i speak english uh, i actually don't speak any other language Uh. so i have some people who are arab speakers or are muslims who've learned arabic who like comment on my posts in Arabic and I'm like I (laughs) don't actually know that um anyway (laughs) anyway, so just like again like a generalization or like in this case kind of a stereotype like oh Mm -hmm. Muslim if you're Muslim you must be Arab right which is like completely not true like actually a very most Muslims in the world don't live in the Arabian Peninsula or not from the Arabian Peninsula Mm -hmm. and there are many 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 Arabs Uh, in the arabian peninsula or living outside of the arabian peninsula who are not muslim
0: Mm.
1: right there are christians there are jews Mm -hmm. there are like those who don't ascribe to any religion like any kind of religion and they're arab so let's just break like right now like this assumption like to be muslim is arab and arab to be muslim no no that's not the thing so anyway the idea being that a lot so the arabic language however um like classical quranic arabic which is different than what you would see if you go to egypt or if you go to lebanon or if you go to saudi arabia like that's not what's spoken on the street um the the comparison that i use a lot for english speakers is kind of like if you learned um if you picked up a book of shakespeare in like high school or something like that like can you do you understand that like no you have to spend like that's why they have whole classes on understanding shakespearean english and like dissecting what does this mean and all the stuff Um, because that's not how we speak day to day, right? So it's kind of like the comparison that I use of Quranic Arabic, what you would find in the holy book of Muslims called the Quran versus what you see in like Arab countries being spoken in markets and like in people's homes in day-to-day life. So uh, the idea being that all of these words are Arabic words that are being transliterated into English script, and there's not really a correct way to uh, spell it because they're inherently not, meant to be an English script. So hijab is usually spelled H-I-G-A-B, which like people pronounce different ways. So you can say hijab. However, I would say hijab really essentially is like the concept of modesty. And it can go very deep. And like, that's a whole conversation. However, usually when you hear the word hijab, you think that the head covering that shows the face, Mm -hmm. um, I show my hands, Um, However, there are some Muslim women where they will cover their, like their nose, their mouth, like, and their eyes will only be showing, Mm -hmm. which is called um, a niqab. And then the burqa is like where their whole face is covered. So, um, however, the concept of hijab and like modesty applies to everyone, men, women, any gender, Uh, it just manifests in different ways.
0: Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Thank you so much for asking. I know a lot of people have questions and like that's literally my job. I'm like, here, I know there are so many people who are very well intentioned, uh, who given the information, like they want to be inclusive, they want to be understanding, they like, and they just don't want to, and they really don't want to offend people truly, truly. And those are the people that I want to talk to. For myself personally, I don't talk to Islamophobes. I don't want to talk to people who are like, is racism a thing? give me the business case. How am I going to make money if I am inclusive of you? No, like there's people like that. Oh, I know. And there are people (laughs) who in the DEI field like do that work to address people and like try and persuade them to Mm. care about human beings, like in just basic inclusion and like, God bless those DEI practitioners who do that work. That is like, oh, I do not have the patience for that. So for people who are really sincere and authentic and really want to respectfully understand another group, Most people, most, not all, will see your intentions and want to like talk to you and educate and are happy to educate. The thing is, like, of course, keep in mind, like sometimes people are having a bad day. Sometimes, like, if someone asks me on the street, like, hey, can you explain this thing to me? And I'm like, one, you're a random stranger on the street that just (laughs) approached me. And also, like, I'm like on the way to an event or on the way to pick up groceries or something like that. Like, can you not like not right now?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. So I want to share with you an experience that I had. Please. Um, so last year, my husband and I were fortunate enough where we were able to take a month sabbatical and we did a tour to five countries in Africa. And we started out in Egypt and then we went mm. to Kenya and then we went to Tanzania or Tanzania, they say mm. in the US. But we found I found out with we say it wrong oh, here.
1: What do they say in the country?
0: Tanzania. Ugh. Yep. Oh my yeah. God, Americans.
1: Americans. <laughs> and
0: then we went to Ghana and and Senegal, and so when we were in Egypt, Tanzania, and Senegal, we were embedded in the Muslim countries, right? Primarily, that was the religious faith there. And you know, whenever we would leave out of the hotel, you know, I had to be respectful in terms of body coverings, and you know, of course, I was. But one of the things I, I realized is. Um, what we experienced was a call to worship in particular Mm. in egypt yeah yeah and at first it was like oh how am i going to be able to sleep through this but then by day two or three it was calming Mm. i looked forward to it Mm. you know it was just like i knew it was like a time of day when everything just kind of stood still Mm, mm. and when we went to tanzania we experienced it there as well as in senegal and i realized the beauty Mm. of the religion and the beauty of having those times of day when they stopped to pray and we mm. were on the flight coming from egypt going to kenya mm. and we have male and female flight attendants and you know it was a small plane because it's the intercontinental mm. flight and you could see like the area where the flight attendants were sitting mm. and shortly after the flight took off i saw the male attendant um, roll out a carpet and kneel mm. down and pray And we were sitting like two rows back. And at first I was like, Ooh, what's he doing? And then I said, Oh, wow. Yeah. How wonderful that he can do this during the day Mm. during work. And the women kept doing what they needed to do Mm. to set up for landing. Mm. And he, he did what he had to do in terms of, you know, respecting that time of prayer. Mm. And I left there, I left the continent of Africa with like such a respect for the religion and the beauty of it. And I just wish more people could have that type of experience mm. where they could not necessarily embed themselves in it, but have more of an exposure to mm. it. So, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that would help people to understand and lose or reduce hopefully yeah. any fear or trepidation that they have about yeah. the Muslim faith and religion?
1: Well, this isn't the point from your perspective. <laughs> I'm really jealous <laughs> of <laughs> Muslims living in Muslim majority countries. Um, I've only ever spent seven weeks at one time in a Muslim majority country. I studied abroad in Jordan, oh. which is next to Egypt. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like the call to prayer and just like the normalcy of everything. Mm-hmm. Like it's not me having to search for a place to pray or like hoping that people aren't like knowing not even hoping knowing that people are staring at me right uh having to find a place to do like the ablution, or like there's a washing ritual before prayers Mm -hmm. um and like being really sensitive about like like I have to take my scarf up to do that I have to take my socks off I have to roll up my sleeves like and if I have like which I mean it's Mm -hmm. for someone if you're not used to you don't know what I'm doing like you're like like people are staring and it's really awkward um and like me trying to focus on my spirituality and like it's supposed to be like again like worship reminding me of God and my relationship with God and like it's really hard to concentrate on that when I know like all these people are sharing exactly and also kind of like in the age of social media like what if someone's taking a picture anyway just like all the things so um I'm so glad that you had a good experience thank you so much for sharing that it brings my heart a lot of joy and light hearing about it and also like just me as an individual I'm a little like oh I'm so
0: jealous (laughs) but anyway
1: um as far as yes like traveling is a complicated subject because there's a lot of privilege that comes with traveling uh the money the accessibility like if you are disabled I follow a number of disabled um content creators online that talk about just how completely inaccessible and rude and like harassing people are even like employees of airplanes employees of buses or just like all these kind of transportation things even when they tell them ahead of time even when they like ask for accommodations even when they do all the things Uh to let people know and ask and you know all of that and then also like the finances of uh, just anyway if you are someone who is physically larger right? how are you going to sit on an airplane? Mm-hmm. Right. Or how are you going to sit on a bus when they're like, no, you have to pay for two seats. Like mm-hmm. that's discrimination. Anyway. So just, I want to yeah. acknowledge before getting into like, yes, traveling is amazing. um, And it definitely does a lot for getting yourself out of your own cultural context of, so, Oh, this is what's normal. Like everyone in the world does it. Like, no, not everyone does it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So yes, travel is amazing. If you can, if it's accessible to you, however, it's very important for myself. I'm speaking to myself, absolutely, Dr. Um, Taina. I am not pointing this at you in any way. Uh, But just the idea, yeah, like acknowledging that if I am able to go traveling, like that's not something that um, is accessible to a lot of people for many reasons. So however, having said that, yeah, going to Muslim countries where they are so comfortable being Muslim and where you as a non-Muslim are expected and required to respect the culture and the religious culture of the area um and if you do do that not you obviously. But any know. listeners yeah any listeners going whenever you go to any country whether muslim or not mm-hmm. having that respect of you are a guest and when you are a guest in anyone's home mm-hmm. you follow the rules and the expectations and the norms of wherever you are right yeah like if Yeah. So taking your shoes off and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that you keep things clean and making sure that you aren't taking up too much space and like uh, having cur- humble, authentic, resp- respectful curiosity for the cultures and customs of where you're at and not being like, this is how I am. And I expect mm-hmm. like the whole cliche of like the ugly American traveler going yeah. to different countries. No, like, I like just because And we're not even just talking about like those with privilege. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I know, for example, I like I have a dream. I love South Korean culture. So I really like want to go to South Korea someday. Uh, god willing i will have the chance to do so however i haven't yet but seeing and looking at stuff online talking about like traveling to south korea is that one of the issues that they have with um let's say specifically american travelers going to south korea is that like they complain about the language barriers like why on earth are you so entitled (gasps) that you expect a whole country that english is not their primary language like maybe they learned it i believe like in middle school and high school but like Everything is going to be translated for you, for you, you a traveler. Like, this is right. their home. This is their country. They don't speak English. What oh on earth? Gosh. Like, so humble yourself.
0: Funny, but it's so true.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And especially now in 2022 in the age that we're in, there are so many apps, not just like Google Translate, right. like literal apps, little devices that you can speak into, yes. say something in your native language, whatever your native language is, and it'll spit it out in another language, yep. which, you know, like you don't have to invest in like years and years and years of language courses. I mean, if that's something you want to do, that's an amazing thing for other reasons. Uh, I know for myself, I have an incredibly difficult time learning languages. I hate learning languages. It's just my brain does not work that way. So again, like taking advantage of the era and moment in history that we mm-hmm. live in with the technology that we have, like you don't get to go to another person's home and be like, you need to make it like my home based on my comfort. Like right. what is wrong with you?
0: Yeah. We, we use that uh, verbal translator app a lot, especially. Oh, in nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause the primary language in Senegal was French and we were like, okay, we don't speak French. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, and, and we can't expect like you said, that everyone's going to speak English. I mean, mm. we had a couple of people in the, mm. in the hotel that did, but mm. for the most part, no, we were in a minority. And as you said, we were the visitors. So we did not expect them to accommodate us. Yeah. We expect
1: to meet them where they
0: were. And they were yeah. very um, appreciative. of Yeah, doing that. Mm-hmm.
1: exactly. And yeah, just going to the point, like whether you're traveling anywhere or you are entering or trying to get to know a culture that you don't belong to, right? Bringing you back to like Muslims, even in the United States context, like I'm American born and raised in the United States. I'm around mostly Americans in my day-to-day life, non-Muslim or otherwise. And if I see that a non-Muslim American has done like the bare minimum research or like even above that, they've had other relationships where they learned about Muslims and learned about like Islam in an interfaith sense. I am so much more likely to be wanting to educate them further or share more about the details of my life and stuff because they've shown that they really do care and have invested the time versus if someone approaches me with like, I demand you to educate me. I demand you to do all these things and share like the innermost thoughts of your community (laughs) with no thought. Right. Yeah. So even when you do go and travel, like the fact that you show that you aren't expecting them to like roll out the red carpet for you, especially like Americans, like Americans, Mm -hmm. come on guys, we could do better. Like I am American, like we Americans, we could do better, whatever our background is. That's so true. So
0: tell me about some of the um, work that you've done as it relates to helping people, Mm. um, you know, bring down their defenses Mm. or um, increase their awareness in Mm. terms of where their biases as it relates to, to your religious background.
1: So my approach, I would say there in the DEI field, there is a lot of thoughts around um, taking people where they're at. Uh And I appreciate the thought and kind of like the contention around that, because usually when people say taking people where they're at, it's like a cop out for growth or accountability. And that's not what I mean by it. So I do want to acknowledge that uh, that tension exists. Uh What I mean, and that's why I love like my background in intercultural communication, weaving into diversity, equity and inclusion. And the idea with intercultural communication that I bring to my work is we are all a product of our upbringing. Mm -hmm. There are no eight year olds, 10 year olds, five year olds sitting around their caretakers, their families, their living situations, what have you. Being like, hey, uncle, you just said something that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Can you please cite your sources on where you got that information? Or, oh, hmm, you are implying that this group is like this. Can we please? I say no, there is no child doing apologetic. that. Yeah. No matter what your background, whether you're Muslim, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Mexican, whether like I don't care what your background is. Like there are no children doing that. And it would be weird and like no one expects that. So. All of us grew up absorbing messages from our caretakers and the people around us, our teachers, our uh, classmates, who, again, they were absorbing as children from their families things about life and the world. So the idea being that we have biases, positive, negative, like it's natural to have biases, but some of them are problematic, even if they're positive about a group like, for instance, the model minority myth for Asians um even that is problematic even though it's like oh we think well of them no 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 like right. even that is problematic so the idea being that we have biases so as adults we need to recognize that one like it's natural for us to, to absorb things that aren't true or are problematic about other groups of people and un- actively go out of our way proactively to unlearn those things right yeah. So the idea being is when I do my work around Muslims, the idea being, especially, you know, my context is in the United States, Muslims mm-hmm. are estimated to be about 1% of the population. There is no like hard, es- like real estimate because the U.S. Census doesn't uh, collect information on religion. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure if I like want that. Want that. Want them <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, I'm like, well, I'm not really sure mm-hmm. I want you to.
0: Uh, <laughs>
1: So let's just say like, it's about 1% of the population. There are different estimates that different groups have done. That's like more or less, it's about like 3 million people, right? So let's say it's a very, very, very small percentage. Most Muslims live in uh, major metropolitan areas, Mm -hmm. right? So like, for instance, I'm in the San Francisco Bay area. There's a lot in LA. There's a lot in New York. There's a lot in uh, Detroit, like Dearborn area. There's a lot in Washington, DC, like those Mm -hmm. sorts of places. If you as a non-Muslim one don't live in those areas or even if you do live in those areas and all you do is like see a hijabi walk by hijabi is like just what you call a woman who wears hijab. Okay. But again, even then, that's like if the Muslim woman wears hijab, there are a lot of Muslim women who don't wear hijab. So you wouldn't necessarily know if she if a Muslim woman walking by was Muslim. You There's also like no way of really knowing if men are muslim Mm -hmm. or not like a lot of people racialize muslims as brown not even black people like there's a huge percentage of muslims who are black right either african-american or Mm -hmm. african immigrants or children of african immigrants afro latinos like on and on like 30 percent of american muslim americans are black of Mm -hmm. black descent so there's that but they're all racialized as uh brown specifically um so even if you, one, see a hijabi that you identify as Muslim, there's that. It's usually like her walking across like a grocery store or a mall or something at a distance. You're like, oh, look, mm-hmm. a magical creature just walked by. A unicorn. <laughs> like, you know? It's mm-hmm. okay. I do it too. I Like when I see a hijabi, I'm like, oh, look, another hijabi. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't make eye contact. Wow, she's so pretty. <laughs> um, But there's that and then obviously like i'm sure there are times when you walk by muslims or they walk by you and you don't know like hopefully you don't take that as like oh you don't know like it's fine Mm -hmm. um but even then all of those times even if you know the muslim is with you in public like that's not deconstructing any stereotypes that's not like a opportunity for dialogue i absolutely am not calling you please don't approach muslims in public or anyone in public about their identities and be like hey random stranger on the street <laughs> tell me about no i know you said this happened to you i'm saying it because it's happened right <laughs> like these people just come out like i am just like i'm just getting a prescription I like, my leave alone. <laughs> like- <laughs> And, and then they get offended then they get that's offended. The entitlement that's like the entitlement, how yeah. dare you i'm trying to help you right. i'm trying to be an ally be an you ally. should be grateful <laughs> exactly thank you thank you i feel so validated thank you <laughs> oh my gosh it's funny Anyways, i can see so, it happening
0: though i can see it happening yeah. i've seen enough stuff on social media where there's this level of entitlement where people feel you owe them an explanation.
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's just like I'm literally just like walking on it's the street. The mind of my, business, my business. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so yeah, like it just there's so much there. So anyway, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate this. I feel so incredibly validated. Okay. Um so, so walking down the questions. street like yeah. you're not going to see like it's not an opportunity to break down no. stereotypes and stuff like that, right? So having said that, so I understand it's not an excuse, it's not good, but I understand that I personally believe like most people in the world, I choose to believe most people are not like intentionally malicious and evil and like want to hate other groups. Um, You have this upbringing surrounded by, in this case, like non-Muslims who they have absorbed very bad messages about Muslims from the media. Um, As an adult, you also in turn may have absorbed messages about the media. And keeping in mind, uh, again, about Muslims and all groups is that the media in the United States is a for-profit business and honestly like you this is just life advice that i live by and i really recommend everyone literally everyone follow the money always follow the money when someone is trying to persuade you of something so in the media like newspaper well, do newspapers even exist (laughs) anyway (laughs) uh like you know even social media like ads and stuff um on articles that you might see online, what have you. Like, okay, how does a for-profit business that's media-related make money through ads? Okay, cool. How do they make money through ads? They need as many eyeballs on their pages as possible. Okay, how do they keep eyeballs and how do they get your eyeballs on their pages and keep you? By being sensationalistic, right? They're not going to be like, hey, this Mm -hmm. completely normal person did this completely normal thing. Mm -hmm. Now pay me five bucks. Like, no, that's not... (laughs) No one is going to that's not how they're going to make money. They're going to take like the most absurd thing that could have possibly have ever happened. That's like a super outlier of any group again, any group Muslims, but any group. Yep. And one and we've all had the time where they like make a headline really sensationalistic. And then you do even if you do read the article, it's like much less than even what the um the title of the article implies of course. so even then but even if you do read the article they're like picking out the most sensationalistic yep. things to try and get your eyeballs to make money on ads and all of that so if that is the only source of information about other groups like of course you're gonna have biases of course you're gonna have stereotypes of course you're gonna think badly of them and think like oh all muslim women are oppressed and all muslim men are like this and all this people are like this like so you what i love again bringing it to like 2022 in the era of which we are living is that there are a lot of people online. If you're not on social media, like this is not going to apply to you and you're an incredibly healthy person and like what's, say, wrong, like, what's you. wrong with you? Like, I don't want to be your friend. Like I can't handle this kind of healthy, like mental health space. Like if you're not on social media, like I need, no, no, no.
0: How's that possible?
1: I know. So if you are on social media, um, uh, go and find whatever platform is your preference. Um, I really like LinkedIn. I really like TikTok. It's like completely different ends of the spectrum and I love it. Uh, it feeds my ADHD dopamine needing brain that, um, go and find content creators from different groups that you don't belong to uh, Muslims or any other group and just follow a bunch of them, not just like one person. Right. Because again, 1.8 billion Muslims we're diverse. We're incredibly, incredibly diverse. So you're not going to follow any one person, even if you follow me, for instance, like I never try and pretend like, oh, I speak for all No, no. Nice. Uh, again, another red flag. If Ooh. you are like, dealing with anyone in DEI or anyone in general who's like, I speak for this whole group. No, 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 no. That's not not possible. possible. Yeah. So follow a bunch of people, like try and hit like five people or so from different groups, get their different perspectives. You're already going to be on social media. That's what I love about it. You're already going to be on social media. And then you like either watch a video, you read a post or whatever. It takes 30 seconds, 10 seconds, whatever. And then drip, 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 drip over a long period of time. You have like this long history of being exposed to these different groups and then like for instance something that i've been learning a lot recently about black women which i love is that on tiktok there's all these black women with cats and i didn't realize that i had this like thought in my mind again like this bias uh-huh. or this kind of stereotype in my mind like cats are like a white person thing right, like, right, i have right. cats no and so i've like, just seen all these random videos like that cat videos, so people making fun like like cat videos are but all these black women with their cats. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And like realizing in that moment that I had this association that I didn't even realize. Right. And now I like have broken inshallah through that. Anyway. So just as that is an example, right. I'm learning so much. I try and learn also about disability groups and like how to be accessible and stuff like that. Um, There's so many people who are putting out information for you to find It's literally, do you even want to, right? So when you go to random people on the street and have clearly not educated yourself when it's so accessible to do so, like, don't be shocked if people get, like, upset with you that you're, like, putting all this labor on them to educate you, especially not paid, the emotional labor, like, the tax of, like, expressing their trauma to you and you're not giving them anything in return and especially also like i have had people where i do go out of my way to educate them especially like i used to do this i don't do this anymore but um i would respond to them and explain to them and then they would still not agree with me and away they go and it's not the point of that they have to agree with me it's more about like they have the opportunity to just check out and be like, nope, I don't like you Mm -hmm. or I don't like your perspective and off you go. And I spent all this time Mm -hmm. and energy and like investing into trying to like give them another perspective that supposedly they asked for. And then they just like check out. So it's like, okay. Cause they weren't really ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So I have a couple of questions before we wrap up. Okay. Let's say you and I are meeting up and we're going to brunch. Sweet. And I decide to order a drink. Or an alcoholic. Decide, yep, an alcoholic drink, or light up a cigarette, <laughs> or say yeah. a cuss word, right? Mm-hmm. Four letter word, or whatever many letters there are these days, because there's so many. Um, would that be offensive? Would it be classified as offensive? Is it something I should be mm-hmm. conscious of? Should I not share that side of my life mm. out of respect? Mm. Another question I think people may
1: have. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that. So, my understanding, and I do, I'm very sensitive about talking about like the religion of Islam because there are so many different, different sects and different like levels of religiosity right. and different beliefs. Like, I have had a practicing Muslim woman sit with me in person, uh, years ago and argue with me about like hijab is not a thing that like it's completely made up, right? So, just as an example, like there are different right. beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal understanding of Islam is like swearing is not um good like we call it ekhlaq, or like good behavior, like code of behavior. However, there are many Muslims who swear. Oh, okay. There are so many Muslims who swear. Like we're normal people. We swear. We don't swear. I personally, Rahime as an individual, do not swear. Mm-hmm. But I again I'm also on social media all the time and I'm around it all the time. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna be like oh, sh- right, <laughs> clutch my <laughs> <not> pearls. <laughs> we cannot be friends. No, like <laughs> Yeah. So if you, as someone who wants to be um, understanding that there are people, no matter what their background, like, again, it's not even about religion, just like their preferences around swearing, then that's something that you can be very inclusive of and understanding. I had a conversation literally right before this, where someone shared, like, for them, swearing is showing that they feel comfortable around you, around me, or anyone And they asked me like, are you okay with that? Or are you comfortable with swearing? I'm like, oh, well, I actually don't prefer as an individual, as me, Rahime, right? I'm not saying this as Muslims in general. There are, again, there are many Muslims who swear and I'm not trying to like get into a fight with other Muslims about like we internally as Muslims can have a conversation about our religion. So this isn't about non-Muslims or pitting ourselves against each other. I'm really big on Muslims being able and any group can have internal conversations about our own group and also like as a unit turning to people outside of our group and be like okay we're a unified friend right mm-hmm. like for instance i know i sorry i have adhd and i get off on tangents but hopefully it's all relevant <laughs> it i had a friend in middle school uh so me and my sister i have one younger sister who we fought like crazy growing up um and in middle school i had a friend who came to my birthday party and of course my sister was at my birthday party and she said something like mean or something about my sister. And I turned on her. And I'm like, don't you ever, oh. ever talk oh. about my sister that way. Right. Like right. I can talk about her. Rivals. I can <laughs> say whatever I want, but you can't like, and this is my friend, like my friend oh. talking about my sister, my sister who, like, anyway. So for me, it's like that, like Muslims, I believe like in any group, like we are a family, we're a community. Of course we have our problems. Of course we have our problems. Right. Like, really? but I very much try and i'm not perfect but i try very much to never put like throw other muslims under the bus sure. when talking to non-muslims so anyway so that's the just thing like i personally rahime i'm not like loving swearing i personally believe islamically it's better not to but i'm not gonna like not be friends with people be over it i'm not going like there are many muslims who swear and so on yeah mm-hmm. uh swearing what else uh smoking cigarette or there are also many muslims there are also many muslims who smoke i again also believe that islamically it is not like a good thing to do there are many muslims who smoke um i personally like get headaches over them but again that's all like a personal thing so like getting to know the person yeah getting to know the person that you're with yeah right that's not like an islamic like i literally cannot hang out with you like based on my religion however the alcohol thing is very big okay um there is a difference of opinion. There are some Muslims who drink. I've had an executive director of a past job tell me that he had friends who owned a winery who were Muslim. Like, so mm-hmm. there are Muslims who okay. engage in alcoholic um, endeavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, generally, it is accepted by most Muslims that alcohol is not uh, something to be drink uh, drunk to be around. Um, that like it is what we would call haram or like forbidden. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, however, there are also different Muslims who set up different boundaries around that and different beliefs around the boundaries around that. Some will attend, say, networking events with alcohol presence and just won't drink. Uh, I personally, again, Rahime, and there are some Muslims like this who will not attend events with alcohol present. That is one of the things I want to push for is like non muslims setting up networking events or any events whatsoever, like to have an option that like, say you set up five events, like two of them are non-alcoholic right and there are many other reasons like there are people who are recovering alcoholics there are people who have medications like disability medications that um interfere with alcohol so like you're like forcing them to Mm -hmm. show what their disability is when they don't want to like there are so many other reasons not just muslims for alcohol being sensitive so if i were so one i personally try very hard to like cut that off at the beginning. So I will ask someone ahead of time, like, do you mind if we make sure that like no alcohol is had in this, you know, meal? I don't wait until because I have gotten myself into like really awkward situations where I just assumed that like, oh, it's lunchtime or it's like the workday or something like that. And then like everyone orders a drink and I am so incredibly uncomfortable. And anyway, just yeah, it's a mess. So I would just say, um, as a non-Muslim wanting to be inclusive, like, again, getting to know the person that you are interacting with, because, again, you might be interacting with a Muslim who does drink or who does not care at all. Uh, However, being aware, again, of a generalization, knowing it's a generalization and then getting to know the person that you're uh, interacting with. But I would say, like, generally, if you can, around Muslims, just forego alcohol, that would be uh, very, very good. Good.
0: Well, I think that's all my questions. (laughs) I could talk to you on and on and on. This won't be the last time that we connect. Um, But I do appreciate you taking time to hang out with me today on Stop Being the Best Kept Secret and and sharing some of your lived experiences and answering some of my questions. Uh, So how can people find you? How can they keep up with you? What's the best way for them to know everything that you have to offer?
1: Thank you so much. It is absolutely a pleasure and an honor to be here. As you can tell, I am absolutely a talker. I can literally just talk forever and ever and ever, and I will have an amazing time. So, thank you all for anyone who made it this far into the podcast. I very much value your time. If you would like to connect with me, uh, I am on TikTok, on LinkedIn most actively. Again, like it's really funny on different sides of the spectrum, but those are the ones I really love. I'm also on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, and then I have a website, com. I'm sorry, unfortunately, you will have to learn how to spell my name. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> we'll just <include> RahimeRamazani.com.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. Again, I really appreciate you taking time to spend with us here today. I'm your host, Dr. Tana M. Session. Thank you all for joining me for another episode of Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. My hope is that you've learned just as much as I have or maybe even more through our time here today. Thank you again for staying and hanging out. Appreciate it. Bye till the next episode.